very much this evening. Put your Bibles there in Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going to take a couple moments just to lightly expound the verses around the passage that uh, Brother Carpenter read. Our main thought this evening is coming from verse 10 of the passage. I'm going to speak to you on the subject of the thing which God makes. The thing which God makes. Um, Look at verse 1, and I want to just uh, show you a few of these verses from verse 1 to verse 13 and give you the context. Now, we're pretty familiar, many of you in the room, most on a Sunday evening, will be pretty familiar with the passage which Brother Carpenter read, verses 8, 9, and 10. A good number of you could quote that. A good number of you have quoted that to people and spoken to them when you're witnessing to them. Let's look at some of the context. It begins in verse 1 with the condition that we have because of salvation in Christ. The word quickened is used in the verse. I love the fact that our King James Bible is completely accurate in all aspects. And when you don't change the words around in the Bible, it will trigger, certain words will trigger you to other verses which will show you doctrine that's attached one to another. For instance, in Hebrews it says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The translations which are based on the Roman Catholic documents and such, the other English versions besides the King James, they are, uh, they say it is lively and active or powerful and active or lively and active is the most common way it's rendered. But the word quick takes you to this type of passage. And you hath he quickened, it says there in verse 1, which are, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And you would find if we did a study on the word quickened, you would find that it is completely interlaced so that you would understand it has to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection power in our lives. And so your Bible, since you have a, a good Bible, and it, is, um, it shows you all that. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Our condition was a condition of death. The condition we have because of the kindness of the Lord through Jesus Christ is a condition of being resurrected from that death. Even though we, obviously those of us in this room have not died physically, I think that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, that we, we were dead in our spirit, and we were dead in trespasses and sins, and yet Christ has quickened us. It says, uh, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Now the course of this world is the common way things are done. It's the direction of things. Uh, you would think of it, you can chart your course. You may use that type of language. That's what it's talking about. When you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So there's a course, there's a prince, and there's a spirit that all combine towards a wrong direction of things. That's where we were. Then it goes a step further with that, and it says, among whom we all also we all had our conversation in time past 
in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the lust of uh, uh, fulfilling the lu- desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And so we find that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We find that we did walk among, we had our conversation, our, our being among the, uh, the excesses and the lust of the flesh, the walking in the vanity of our mind, these things. We were children of wrath. We had wrath upon us. That's where we were. And God's quickened us. Now, this is a great thing because it ties in very much with what you're going to find out tonight about the thing which God makes. Our natural condition was this lost condition. Our natural condition was this fallen condition. Then look what happens in verse 4. But God. I often say that's a great thing right there. But God makes a lot of preaching in and of itself. I promise you that. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, why did he do what he does, what is mentioned next? Because of his love. Because of the abundance of his mercy. His great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, even when we were dead, excuse me, in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. What does that mean? That means that when Christ raised from the dead, uh, one of the things that the Bible talks about when it says He gave gifts unto the men is the fact that when He raised from the dead, He released from the power of death, from the dominion of death, all who would ever believe in Him. Pointing forward. He did the same thing for those who believed on Him then and retroactively those who believed in the living God, even though they didn't understand everything about the Savior that was going to come, they didn't. Jesus hadn't come to the earth yet. But yet, like Naaman we learned about this morning in Sunday school in our adult, adult Bible classes, when he said there's only one God, and I will not sacrifice or bow down to any other God except that one God. Uh, and I said in my class this morning, I said, somebody said, well, he trusted Jesus. Jesus wasn't born yet. He didn't know anything about somebody named Jesus. He knew the living God. That's all the revelation man had at that time. He, he said, he's, he's the real God. And he believed on Him. And by the way, he was saved by the grace of God through faith, just like anybody else is. Even though that grace was not a, a completely accomplished task yet, because Jesus Christ had not yet paid the price and risen from the grave, but it was as sure as if that had already happened. And so it says here that, uh, that God, he, he, he quickened us together uh, with Christ. And that's what the end of verse 5 is talking about. By grace ye are saved. It's by God's grace. This morning I mentioned to you when uh, Jesus was talking and uh, giving the uh, uh, parable there, or, or just actually kind of the teaching to that Pharisee, Simon, whose house he was in Simon's house. And of course, you remember Simon was upset because the woman had come up and was bathing Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. And that Pharisee said within himself, he said, if he knew what kind of woman she was, if he was a prophet, he wouldn't have let her touch him. Because this woman is a sinner. In other words, she had a reputation. And Jesus then said, uh, Simon, let me say something to you. You remember it from this morning. And he talked about a creditor 
that had two debtors. One owed him 500 pence, about 500 days wages. And one owed him 50 pence. And Jesus said, both of them had nothing to pay. Now, he was talking to that Pharisee saying, this woman that you're looking down on, she's got just as much to offer for paying for her sin as you do. (laughs) And I emphasize to you this morning, they had nothing. That's why by grace we are saved. We're quickened in Christ. (laughs) Religion will kill you. The only positive thing you want to attach religion to is pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. To keep himself unspotted from the world. But religion as far as a form of worship, while some of them may follow the Bible, I certainly believe and hope that ours does, if that's all you have, it will kill you. Because you have a form and no substance at that point. And so he goes on down and and talks about this. And he says uh, in verse 6, And hath raised us up together. We're already resurrected. You hath he quickened. Not he's going to quicken. You are quickened. You understand, we are already resurrected. We've been quickened from death. We just get a new body to house what's happened. This body, this body's, you know, it, it doesn't last forever. And, uh, you know, many, many mornings, probably you're kind of glad about that. Yeah. And that's raised us up together and made us sit together. And that's the idea of being at peace. That's the idea of being secure. That's the idea of being accepted. And that made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I think the Lord was taking some of our ladies kind of to a heavenly place there in that song. And, and by virtue of that for us, there are times when God just meets with things around here, and I'm always grateful for those. Then, of course, we verse 7, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So God explains His grace, His kindness of His grace, by what He's done for us. Through Christ Jesus. And then the verse is so familiar to us. You see their context. For by grace are you saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's not man's invention. It didn't come from man. It is the gift of God. And it should be received as such. It should be, it should be valued as such. It should be honored as such. Not of works. It doesn't originate with works. It doesn't find its, its being in works. Why? Lest any man should boast. God's not going to have us bragging around about how wonderful we are. You ever met somebody who just always wants to tell you how good they are at everything? And how? And it's sickening on a human level. And uh, much less before a holy God. Nobody's going to stand in the presence of God and brag about how good they are. We're just not going to do it. Um. <laughs> Verse 10, and this is where the message is, for we are His workmanship. So, we're not saved by works. In fact, we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. See, Jesus, or 
made us a workmanship so that we could then show forth these good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, look at our condition where it was, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That is one of the most forlorn passages I know in the Bible. And before I ever knew that passage, I knew what it felt like for that to echo in my soul. In those days when God was bringing me under conviction. It's a sad thing to know there's so much more there and not know what it is. To have a mind that gravitates towards wanting to know truth and what's behind things but not having any answer. As a young teenager already be put off and put out with the explanations being given. And then Jesus came. Then as they're introduced to the Word of God. Totally different. It's totally different. <laughs> what a great place to be. Verse 13, but now. I like that. You got two messages right there. But God and but now. <laughs> but now, there we were. We were in that sad, forlorn condition without hope and without God in this world. In the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh. By the blood of Christ. We're not a long way off anymore. God brought us up close. That's a tremendous thing. Let me show you these thoughts on the thing which God made. We are, according to verse 10, we are His workmanship. We are the creation. We are the production. We are the art of His hand. Psalm 100 has this in one of the verses. It says, Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. We indeed are made by God. We are His workmanship. The kid's song says, He's still working on me. Make me what I ought to be. There's a lot of truth in that little song. And... Uh, Thank God that He does. You know, if you've been a browser of bookstores as I have been for many years, as if I need to drag home anything else to read, uh, my wife chuckles. Every now and then she'll see something. We were up in Holmes County on Friday and she said, do you mind if we go by that one little thrift store? I said, no, I don't mind at all. She says, they have a book section. I know you don't. So there I went over there. I picked out like three different books. I put them all back. I thought of how many I'm trying to get into right now. And I'm like, all right, this is getting ridiculous. Besides that, I'm not sure structurally part of my house is going to be able to handle the weight much more. It's not really stress-loaded for what, where, my, where my library is. But uh, if you go into uh, a, an arranged bookstore of any type where they have things by section, whether it be a used-type bookstore or if it be a new one, You'll find that the self-help 
section, they may call it that, there may be other names attached to it, is a very, very large section of any bookstore. As people try to get self-worth, they have swallowed the idea that they need self-esteem, self-worth, self-this, self-that. It's almost as large as the dieting section. Does it say something that the dieting section is large? Think about that for a moment. That the, uh, appreciate our grass cutter coming down off the hill. They had grass and nothing. He was knocking down everything smaller than a tree about that big up there. But the, when we look at those areas, people are saying, well, I need worth. And then we're very tempted when we look at it and we realize some people are very damaging to themselves in their decisions, their habits, their behavior. Because truthfully, they think they're trash. They've been told they're trash. They've been berated. God help us. They've been cursed by parents. They've been abused in such ways that it's communicated to them on every level that they're nothing but some unworthy object. And we see the damage it causes in people. It would be tempting to go down some of these paths and say, well, they need self-esteem, they seem self-worth. A lot of times those are people catching glimmers of a truth without understanding where the wholeness of that truth is. Sometimes it's people who are actually trying to help other people and are giving their life to try to help other people they're seeing a fragment of what the Bible reveals far more fully. And what the Bible reveals far more fully is that we are His workmanship. That if we get settled by the fact that we have been received because of the grace of God, the acceptance of our Christianity before God is not performance-based. I am not accepted by God because I'm a preacher of the Gospel. I am not accepted of God because I tithe and give above my tithe, because I support missions, because I do works. None of them. Those are important things. My Heavenly Father deserves nothing less than the best. And I am a preacher who has a deep godly fear of what would happen to me if I ever stepped out of his calling. But you listen well to me. I'm not accepted because of any of that. I'm accepted because one day Jesus Christ bared his back to the whip, gave his cheek to the smiters, laid his hands out to have nails driven through them, with his last breaths, was saying such things as, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And three days later, <laughs> with all that hell's genius could devise to try to keep him in the grave, he came up, not just through the grave, but with victory over it. It is such a pronounced victory 
that the Bible talks about that type of victory. It says death is swallowed up in victory. It just no longer exists. Gone. I just read this week, the last, talk about the last enemy that shall be abolished is death. Abolished. Gone. Has no more force or power. When we understand that our acceptance in Christ is not performance-based, it then frees us up to perform for our Savior at the best level possible. Some of you have been around teaching and preaching. Basically, without saying it, Paints God as somebody just waiting for you to make a misstep so he can cream you. That's I've never read a theological treatise phrase that way, but that's basically where it comes across. What if we took a biblical stance instead? And said that God will judge sin. You know, not, not all judgments are eternal. People miss that. They, they get the whole thing about grace and forgiveness of sin all tangled up. There are judgments here for things that we do here. Um, why don't we get biblical about understand that God does judge and holds accountable those who sin against Him? But His nature is revealed to us as being one who is heartbroken when those actions are done. He's not happy about it. He's not saying, oh good, I have a chance to punish him. What kind of deranged parent would be hoping their kids mess up so they have a chance to whoop them? I mean, honestly, you got somebody like that, they're messed up. They ought to, they ought to be cleaning the litter off the side of the highway like from here to California with no reprieve. Honestly. But God wants us to be successful in following Him. And we belong to Him. We belong to Him by His choice. He wanted us. <laughs> he gave Himself for us. You talk about us getting the best end of a bargain. And when you have that freedom, you can grow in that grace. When you have that freedom, you can have the confidence which is confidence which is in Christ. You'll not be overly impressed with those people who you think are stronger, smarter, whatever than you, and they may be. There are some people in this world, and some people who don't even know the Lord and the living God, that are impressive people. They're impressive in their intellect, they're impressive in their accomplishments, they're impressive in their self-discipline. And I, I have a preacher who has very little patience with. Uh, Christians who want to paint everybody who doesn't believe in God as if they're some kind of total idiot. No, there are some very impressive people in some areas who don't believe in the Lord. But may I say to you tonight that none of them compare with the Lord Jesus. And He dwells in us. It hurts when someone doesn't accept us. It hurts when someone slights us. It hurts to some degree or another if the right person um, uh, rejects us. There's some people who could reject us. It doesn't bother us because we don't really care about them anyway. But if, but some people, <laughs> isn't that the truth? Uh, and <laughs> but some people it would hurt us. 
But I'm talking about the strength that counts or knowing we belong to God. You don't have to walk around being intimidated by anybody. Well, I don't know. They know more than I do. Well, I hope somebody does. I don't know. And it also keeps you from walking around looking down at everybody. Why? Because you know that your standing is with God. You know, once that's taken care of, everything else really does not carry the weight that it used to carry. We're His workmanship. God made me. Um, I've tinkered some with the original product. Some, 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 some of my tinkering hasn't been as good as others. But He made me. And more importantly, He remade me when I got born again. And then look at the verse again. It says, For we are, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I like this word in. It's in the likeness of. To be like Him is the purpose of God that is birthed in us at the point of salvation. So what's the overall purpose of the person being saved? To become like Christ. He is called in one place the firstborn among many brethren. Sometimes you'll see a family and you say, well, you can tell what family they're part of. You can tell who their kinfolk are. I can think right now, and I'm thinking real quickly, three different family names in a little bit of town. I grew up outside of a little town of 800 people and lived a half mile outside of that. And I can think of three families very quickly. Unfortunately, they weren't... They had a... Uh, they were more notorious than having a notoriety. Um, but I remember seeing some of the family I met before and it's like, oh, that one's... And I won't name them out here. You say, why not? Because this is public. They might come get me. Um, you say, oh, that's a... And they give the last name. Why? You can tell. You can tell by appearance. You can tell by action. There were just tendencies. I can think of three, three families real quick on it. My wife would know coming from the area. Do you know there's a family resemblance in the likeness? We are created in Christ Jesus. We are created in His likeness. It is... Basically, your growth in grace is getting this old clay out of the way so Christ can shine through. Then, it's in the instruction and guidance of Him. Very practical. What's it mean? What's it mean to be walking in Christ or in having Him living through us? It's the instruction and guidance as it's given through His Word. Um, not only does the Bible give direction and instruction, direct commands, instructions, warnings, admonitions, all these things are in the Word of God. But it also, and this is neat, when you're reading Scripture, you want to watch this. This gives you a very clear view of who Jesus is, how He interacted with people, what His behavior was like, what His actions were. You know, um, I believe there are some characters in history. I think it's some preachers in history. I'll give you one. I, I, think, I think I could talk intelligibly with you about some of the mannerisms and the tendencies of uh, Charles Spurgeon. You say, why? Man, he was in the 1800s. He was. We didn't cross paths. 
but I have read a lot of the man's words. I have read multiple biographies from men coming at it from different angles. And it's imperfect. All those are imperfect because they're human things. But I get an idea. Most of what I understand about that brother that I've never met since he was on this earth a long time before me, most of what I understand about him, his heart, his ministry and such, comes from his own words. His own, I read, I, I draw conclusions about people from their words. And uh, I feel like I know him to some degree. I feel like to a lesser degree, I think there's a connection because of being a preacher, a lesser degree, there's some things about Abraham Lincoln I feel like I know. Sometimes somebody will just spout something off and I'll think, well, I don't know if that matches because reading his words and reading his actions and get, trying to get a complete picture of that character. How much better in the clear, clear teaching and preaching from the Word of God and I'm talking about not just when you're receiving it like we are here tonight, but when you're reading it and it's teaching to you, it's teaching you. The Bible shows you specifically and clearly who Jesus is. If you'll read it slowly, if you'll pay attention to what the Lord's doing when you look at him through the Word of God, I think you'll pick up even almost the tone of what he's doing. Once I started understanding, Brother Andrew, and I started understanding from the Bible. Martha in the Bible. And uh, I started to understand a whole lot more dimension to that dear sister than what I had first thought as a believer and what I had heard more through preaching. And she was almost portrayed as a bad woman. But she wasn't. She, she had some things that were causing her grief and people around her grief, but she wasn't, she wasn't a bad woman by any means. After I read that a while, it seemed to me as I was reading and I read different things about her and I started realizing certain Scripture, it seemed to me that the tone sounded different in my mind, Brother Robin. I don't know if you all do that. I hear things as I'm reading them. Not things I hear. It's, it's like, I don't know. Maybe you don't do it. When I'm reading, after a while, it's almost like I'm not looking at the words. It just starts playing out in front of me. And uh, I, uh, the tone used to be this. Martha and Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Mary had chosen that good part not be taken. I don't read it that way anymore. Based on what the clarity of the Bible has shown me about the Lord and His relationship and His very frank statements about His love for that lady, I hear it now as this. Martha, Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things. Mary had chosen... That good part shall not be taken from her. Because Martha was asking to take it from her. <laughs> Make her get up from looking at you and come serve the dinner, which was my idea. Um, <laughs> a very Martha move. But my point of this, so preach, I don't quite read it that way. That's not my point. My point is, the more we look at Jesus, when you're reading about Jesus, don't just read over it. Look at what your Lord was doing. I know men who have so studied other preachers 
that they begin to take on the characteristics. They did not set out to imitate or mimic that person, but they take on the characteristics because they are uh, whatever this, this other preacher has been uh, such an influence on them, has been such, a, such an influence in their life, that they, they start picking up the mannerisms of that man. They watch him. They'll watch how they walk. They watch how they, their mannerisms. They'll start, they'll start uh, being very much like that person. Um, it happens in any field of discipline where other people are being trained by somebody, that's, that is a consistent thing. It, it, it shows up. I'm telling you, based on the Word of God, that if we will look at who Jesus is, as is revealed in the Bible, not just direct statements about He is Alpha, He is Omega, and those great statements, but if we watch while He's dealing with His disciples, while He's dealing with the lost, while He's dealing with the hurting, and we watch the nuances that the Word of God has preserved for us, we can so study Him that we'll start picking up habits and it will become our default setting to approach things in a much more Christ-like way. You see, we the thing which God makes, what is it? It's us being made in the likeness of Christ Jesus. Then notice the rest of the verse there in verse 10. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. <laughs> like all things made by a workman, there is a purpose in our making. John, you should be enjoying this sermon. Amen? Keep talking about the workman. <laughs> like all things made by a workman, there is a purpose in our making. A workman is interested in, guess what? Work. He's trying to get something accomplished. Or he's wanting to turn out a final product that is the purpose for the work that's being put into it. In other words, there's an object in view for what's being done. God's not just tinkering around with what He's doing in our lives. He is the ultimate workman. He is accomplishing a purpose. Not only that we become a vessel fitted for His glory, but also that we be a useful vessel to Him. And so the things that God brings into our lives, the things that we encounter, and listen to me clearly on this, even the things that others bring into our life, God seeks to grow us by and uses our responses according to how we respond to what He brings. Unto good works. There's a purpose. What? Good works. I love this verse about Jesus. It says, who went about doing good. So what should I do? People try to figure out, what? what's my ministry? How about just start out by doing good things where you are? That'll get you moving on the right track. God will take it from there. You get in the habit of doing good, you'll keep looking for good. You get in the habit of doing good, you'll become very... I'm going to use a word that probably doesn't exist. It exists now. Guidable. Okay? It, it, you are able to be guided by a, a living God who wants to guide you in the ways of right, prosperity in the Lord, and, and, and uh, being beneficial to the Lord and to people He wants to bless. 
Then notice that it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus and the good works, which God hath before ordained that we, who? Those who are in Christ Jesus, should walk in them. It's almost a repetition of the previous statement, but sort of an emphasis by repetition and, and gives a little more focus to it. God made us and fashioned us because He had something in mind for us to do. I like the fact that today you shared with us in the prayer time, Brother Andrew, that when you were preaching, that you were encouraging the people there in the home, in the nursing home, that they have something to do. God wants, wants to use this. He was trying to encourage them in the conversations they have there in the home, in their sphere of who they get to talk to is very limited. But he asked them, how many of you people, you talk to somebody at least every day, regular basis. These are the people who can come to the services, so they're interactive. They raise their hands. He asked them, and it wasn't in a punching way, but how many of you talk to, ever talk to anybody about the Lord in this conversation? None of them raised their hands. And he went on to encourage and strengthen them and tell them, you can do that. God can use you. Do you know that message is very valid for all of us because God hath before ordained that we should walk in certain good works. What does that mean? That means you've got opportunities in front of you. What does that mean? That means you have the capacity if you will look for the opportunity. There's a lot of good you can do. There's a lot of God, good God wants to do through you. Think about this. You can be a conduit for God's grace to flow to someone. For God's mercy to flow to someone. You can be that. God wants you to do that. Gives you the opportunity. In the workplace, in your home, out and about, around your normal whatever, whatever you do, whatever you get into in a week's time. Why? Because we are His workmanship. We belong to God. That gives you an easy assurance of saying, I know whose I am. Sometimes we'll say someone who has confidence, say, well, they know who they are. Oh, that's not a bad statement. But let me tell you a stronger statement that we have available to us as believers is we know whose we are. Oh, I do know who I am because of whose I am. And... Uh, the confidence is just there to go ahead and do something for the Lord. The thing which God makes, I guess the fundamental question comes down to this. Have you yet realized that your God made you? He built, he built you with abilities and limitations which are as essential as your abilities. He's visited you with the gospel. The vast majority of this crowd tonight, you've believed that gospel and received Christ. Most of you have went the further step of being publicly identified with the Christ you believe in by being scripturally baptized by immersion after you were saved. 
Many, many of you seek and put forth an effort in one way or another to be a witness for your Savior. You belong to God. But you're also made by your God. And the God that made you has a purpose for you. You walk with Him, He'll show you what it is. You may not get the picture all at one time. I'll guarantee you that. You may not get the long view of it all at once. But if you'll take what He puts right in front of you and then go to the next step, you'll find yourself in the right place. And what you'll do is you'll look back over many years and you'll say, wow, God was with me all the way. You will, in retrospect, you will look back and realize God was guiding you when you were not even aware of what His sovereign hand was doing in your life. What a wonderful God we have. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank You for Your people. Thank You for their earnest attention towards Your Word. God, may we be earnest in our attention towards You. Thank You for claiming us. Thank You for identifying us as Your own. Thank You for identifying us with You. And Lord, may we serve You with what You've given us. May we be useful vessels. God, I want to be a useful vessel to You. In every aspect, obviously, Lord, I want to in the preaching You've called me to and in the leading of this church and loving this church as You've called me to do. But God, I want to serve You just with my manhood and with my opportunity of strength and health and what You've given me, I want to use for You. God, help us to be useful people in Your hands, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Someone tonight ought to be at this altar asking God, God, just guide me in my next step. I'm a willing, yielded vessel to You. Why don't You come tonight if You would?